Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, May 16th, 2017. Now, just so you know, I did hear Michael Brown's program yesterday. <laughs> talk about a spin-controlled dog and pony show. But we're not going to talk about that today. Save that up for a pirate gang conversation. Because uh, Kozar and the museum boy Chris Rice were also a part of that. So, Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy, bizarre things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. And in doing the comparative work, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, of teaching, that is put forward by uh, the evangelical industrial complex for consumption by Christians is far from sound. Like It's the exact opposite of sound. It's unsound. It's disease-written. It's not the truth. These are empty words. You're being taught stuff that is not even remotely biblical. And so uh, we want to teach you how to understand God's Word, how to use God's Word to protect yourself and your family and those who you care about and things like that. And we try to have a little fun along the way, which, again, causes weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's just how that all goes. All right, so like I said, I heard Michael Brown's uh, program yesterday. <laughs> no joke, he had Jennifer LeClaire on his program <clears throat> to... Defend the sneaky squid doctrine. Yeah. So, um, wow. <laughs> I just talk of wow. That's just the words. Are, wow is the thing that keeps coming to my mind. But uh, the whole thing was clearly spin control designed to kind of, you know, figure out how to get out of this topic. And, uh, and having Jennifer LeClaire on. <laughs> to justify her teaching. Wow. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're working on a, a pirate gang conversation to, uh, to kind of flesh out the next chapter of this. I'm just absolutely cracking up. I mean, seriously. I mean, the, I mean, 
<laughs> Michael Brown takes total offense at any Christian who shows up to defend Scripture to, and say, that is not biblical, it's not Christian, there's no justification for teachings like this. He takes them on and then lobs softballs, you know, little softballs at uh, Jennifer LeClaire. Do you love Jesus, Jennifer? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. See, that's enough for me. You know? <laughs> Oh man, it's just it's painful. Anyway, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh we're Man, this is just nuts. We're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. We're going to uh, listen to the latest uh stranger tweets. We have Ryan Lestrange's Monday word. My apologies. I you know, I it's Tuesday and I I'm pretty sure you can make it through the balance of the week with you know with, even though it's like a couple days late you know it's yeah you you should have got this yesterday but you know you you should be able to get your you know prophetic you know day planner in alignment and stuff like that and uh, so uh, that's you know we're, we're gonna do that uh, let's take a look at what else we have going on today uh, we're heading over to the Sid Roth program and we're going to listen to uh, his guest Robert Henderson uh, and um, a new doctrine on how to unlock your destiny in the courts of heaven yeah all new kinds of doctrine here being uh, given by those in the charismatic movement and uh, somewhere in there we're going to end up taking a break and uh, then we're going to head over to Bridgetown Church in uh, Oregon, and we're going to listen to uh, one of their pastors, uh, Rick Gans, as he, oh my goodness, is literally teaching contemplative prayer to the folks at that seeker-driven church. And it, I mean, this is messed up, like you wouldn't believe. And then if if you thought the Harbinger Shemitah thing was a thing of the past, oh boy, are you wrong. Uh, Jonathan Kahn has uh, recently uh, it, it appeared at a church in a conference, and uh, and he's saying there's all kinds of Harbinger Shemitah cycles, like all up in here. And so uh, we're going to check in with him. And then in hour number two, this is going to be an interesting sermon review. Uh, we're going to listen to um, <clears throat> a, a woman who claims to be a pastrix. Her name is Beth Blois, B-L-O-I-S. I probably mispronounced that. Um, but uh, the name of the um, the message is called Don't Stop on Destiny. And here's the thing. This is actually a mixed bag, and the reason why is because Beth begins to shoot from the hip. She's preaching at C3 Church San Diego. Yeah, and that's where Jurgen Matias uh, holds court. And uh, she's shooting from the hip, and she actually, in the midst of the sermon, provides some pretty salient criticism of the whole destiny focus that everyone's on right now. And so it's very fascinating to hear what she has to say. Of course, she's going to totally botch uh, uh, God's word, and she shouldn't be preaching anyway, but it'll be an interesting sermon uh, to review. So that's what we're going to be doing for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable, and we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update that requires us to do this. So I was having this wedding and and we had, we well we didn't have we Shaba. Mm, Shaba Shandai. 
Baker and uh, one of our update musics here, Shaba. So uh, we're going to begin. We're going to uh, head over to our YouTube channel and uh, latest episode of Stranger Tweets with Ryan Lestrange. Uh, here we go. And now, Stranger Tweets with Ryan Lestrange. There are things in your life that will not be eradicated in a classroom, but demand the transforming power of glory. Hashtag the cloud transforms. My my life will never be the same. I mean, my, consider my mind blown. Yeah, that's just how that works. So we're heading <laughs> now. We're heading over to uh, Ryan Lestrange's YouTube channel, and uh, we're going to be checking in with him. Uh, from yesterday, uh, the uh, Monday word, you know, again, we were not timely in getting this out to you. And of course, you know, you you apparently are not permitted to actually plan your week without first checking with a YouTube prophet. So uh, here's Ryan Lestrange and the Monday word. Are you dusty or oily? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Hi, friends. It's Ryan Lestrange with the Monday word. And my Monday word is, are you dusty or are you oily? We need the oil of the Holy Spirit in order to move in the weight of all that heaven has for us. When there's oil on our life, we are moving without friction. But mm, So we need oil. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that. I probably need to go get my oil changed. You know, it's, in fact, I'm thinking about this. This reminds me, right? You see, this this is clearly a you know a timely word from the Lord, because you know thinking you know my uh, pirate Christian radio mobile, you know it's uh, over a decade old now, and uh, so I was thinking that you know the Walmart sticker we take it to the Walmart the, the tire and lube express thingy, and I'm pretty sure I'm about three thousand miles over the recommended next time taking it in. Hmm. Thanks. You know, actually, that that was probably the most useful prophetic word I've heard in a while. Yeah, you know, about being oily and stuff. Many people are dusty. This is one of the things that hinders people from advancing into the next season. They're carrying the stain, the dust, the remains of the previous season. There's Right. So do you have dust on you from the previous season? Yeah, that, that's going to keep you from... Your destiny and stuff. You you gotta get you gotta shake the dust off, man. You as we do oftentimes in our life from a previous time period that must be shaken off our life. It's imperative that you and I don't enter into a new season to a next level to a next assignment carrying dust on us. Mm, it's imperative. Did, I mean, did you hear the urgency with which he's delivering? This word from the Lord, which isn't actually the word of God. Thank you. Thankfully, Michael Brown has set us all straight. And see, this is a, a word from God that isn't the word of God. But it's imperative. It's absolutely imperative. You've got to get the dust off of you from the previous season 
Otherwise, the current season totally in jeopardy. Oh, man. I had no idea. The curse from the fall was a life of dust and existence. Satan was cursed to exist in the dust. The serpent was cursed to exist in the dust. In yes, that's right. So we got to get the dust from the pre previous season off of ourselves. I need a prophetic dust buster. This is 3.14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this thing, cursed are you more than the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. The Lord has not called his people to be dusty. He's called. No, God does not want you dusty. De-dust yourself. To carry the residue of heaven, not the stain of past failures, yeah. not the stain of past bondages or past disappointments. And so many times we begin to move into another season and God brings new people into our life. And those people are not covenant minded people. As those people are attempting to rise, they're attempting to advance in the kingdom. They sometimes will use you and use your resources as a staircase to move to the next level. And when they step upon you, you, whatever is on their feet the dust the so they use my staircase to go to the next level but they're only using me for my staircase and they didn't even take the dust off of their feet before they climbed my staircase oh the nerve the dung will try to get off on you and the enemy has used so there's dung in the dust no wonder you want to get it off yeah those situations to put dust on your life yeah. to try to put something on your life to stain you and to affect you and to hold you back he's used other people trotting on you as a tool for demonic discouragement but i speak the release of the oil of the lord on your life all right so the oil's gonna get rid of the dust i you know come to think of it i mean that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I've never used oil to get rid of dust. I mean, because then you're like all greasy and stuff and dusty. Normally, you know, when I'm, you know, maybe out in the yard or, you know, maybe find myself for whatever reason doing something outdoor and dust gets on me. It, it's been known to happen um, that uh, when that, ha you know, all I got to do is actually, you know, come inside, take a shower, you know, water and soap work really good. I mean, really, really, really good to, you know, get dust off. But, you know, I I, I haven't, because I, I'm thinking this doesn't even work in the natural. Are you sure this will work in the supernatural? Because if I went in, you know, like all dusty and stuff and went into the kitchen and said, hey, honey, hand me that olive oil over there. And she'd go like, why? What are you going to do with it? Well, got to get the dust off, of course, you know, because... It works in the spiritual, so it's got to work in the natural, right? I mean, so uh, give me some of that really good olive oil. I, I got to really clean up. <laughs> she would march me out of her kitchen, oh, and probably box my ears, too. Just saying, you know. You know, dust is all throughout the Bible. Yeah. In Joshua 7, 6, to cast dust on the head is called a sign of mourning. To sit in dust is a sign of extreme affliction in Isaiah 47.1. Dust is used to denote the grave in Job 7.21. But here's the scripture I like. Psalms 92.10 says, my horn have you exalted like the horn of a unicorn. You have anointed me. You have empowered me with fresh Like the horn of a unicorn. Okay. Oil. I believe we don't need to be dusty. We need to be oily. Now listen to this. In right. Because you just misquoted these scriptures. That means we need to be oily, not dusty. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, you're not actually exegeting any of these texts. Are you sure this is what God told you? Matthew, Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 10, 11. He says, whatever city, whatever town you enter, inquire who it is that is worthy and live there until you leave. When you come into a house, uh, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. This is a prophetic word for many of you. It's time to shake. This is a prophetic word to shake the dust off your feet. I mean, just because you went to, like, Bible Gateway and typed in the word dust, you know, (laughs) Bible search engine, and found some verses that mention dust, that doesn't mean that God's telling us we need to de-dust ourselves. Plus, I mean, how do you go about doing such a thing anyway, since you're not even talking about actual physical dust that we can see? You know, this is a new condition that I had no idea even existed. The existence of spiritual dustiness. Oh, did you know that that spiritual dustiness, man, it's a a new doctrine. It's a new teaching out there. And in order to de-dust yourself, you need to to engage in spiritual oiliness. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Take that rejection off. It's time to shake that failed season off. It's time to shake someone stepped on you as they were trying to advance over you. There are leaders that you had people in your life that you thought would go the distance with you and instead they stepped on you to climb into the next season and you've got a dust print on your back and the Lord says it's time to shake it off. There are people that served under somebody and they used you and stomped on you. It's time to shake that dust off. There are people that have been through tragic and difficult and painful seasons of your life. It's trying to shake that dust off and release the oil of Holy Spirit. If you don't deal with the dust, if you don't shake it off, then you're going to come into a spirit of independence and orphans. Mm. Oh, you wouldn't want to be a spirit of independence. Those orphaned independent spirits. Yeah. Uh, It's all because of dustiness. I had no idea that Dustiness caused spiritual independence. Orphan heart with God, and you, you're going to, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna be bound, and you're not going to advance. You're not going to truly trust God. You're gonna love God and think, God, I love God. God is good, but I don't trust God. I'm gonna have control over my life, and this is a manifestation of a demonic strategy to exhaust you. You don't need to have control over your life. You need to shake that dust off. You need to invite Holy Spirit on the scene, and you need to get yeah, Holy Spirit. Somebody knows. Noted that uh, this is probably an alternative word to the word holy. I mean, normally when you hear the Holy Spirit, you think H-O-L-Y. This actually, this spirit, since it's always referred to as Holy Spirit, I think we need an alternative uh, spelling for it. It's H-O-L-E-Y, Holy Spirit, yeah oil flowing. So we refuse to be dusty. We refuse to carry the footprint. Oh, so courageous of you. That's right. I mean, in spiritual courage, Ryan Lestrange is now defying the demonic dustiness of the world, and he refuses to be dusty, yes. refuse to carry the stain of the last difficult season. We refuse to carry the stain of their rejection, the stain of their abuse. We shake the dust off today. Father, I thank you that we... Done. (laughs) Wow. All right, uh, we're heading over to the Sid Roth uh, It's Supernatural program. And we're going to let Sid Roth set the program up like he always does. I mean, he generally begins the program by explaining who his guest is and apparently what amazing supernatural spiritual insight that the person is bringing to the table. 
that uh, I mean, literally, we you know we, we can't get this anywhere else, and it has something to do with unlocking your destiny in the courts of heaven. So here's uh, Sid Roth introducing his guest, Robert Henderson. Here we go. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world, where it's naturally supernatural. Mm. Did you know, according to the Bible, there are books in heaven that have your entire life? I mean, everything you're going to do your whole life. It's your destiny. Um, (laughs) what? what? (laughs) Now, you know, see, when the books are opened, I mean... Yeah, the Bible doesn't actually talk about books. Uh, when the books are opened, it, it's never described as destiny. Usually it's recording things that you've done. So you're basically saying that all of this is pre-recorded in the books and the books actually reveal our our density. Yeah, no, that's that's not actually what the Bible says. And it's already recorded. And God... Yeah, which verse says that? Greatest passion is for you to fulfill the destiny God has for you. And ev- really that that's God's greatest passion is for me to fulfill my my destiny, really. Which biblical text says that again? One has a destiny. And it's a good destiny. I don't care what your age is, my guest has information, revelation if you will. A revelation if you will. So this is this claims to be extra biblical revelation. Hmm. Okay. So this we're gonna put this in the category of new revelation coming in hot off the prophetic presses, straight from God. Uh huh. That will allow you to stop the devil in his tracks of interfering with you fulfilling your destiny. Would you like to find this out? No. I would not. This is not a biblical teaching. Why are you putting this out on the airwaves as if somehow this is some kind of thing that Christians need to believe and and understand and know? Of course, the people in his audience, oh, his audience keeps getting bigger and bigger. Oh, man, they're eating this up. They love this. Now, my guest is Robert Henderson, and he's been a guest before, and he talks about going to the courts of heaven. Would you briefly describe that? Yeah, please do. I mean, yeah, yeah. when did you go there? Do you, did you get your passport stamped while you were there? Yeah, I believe that there's a spiritual dimension uh, called the courts of heaven out of Daniel 7.10, where it says the court was seated and the books were... So you believe that there's a dimension in heaven called the courts of heaven? A spiritual dimension called the courts of heaven. Yeah, you know, it's weird. Scripture doesn't actually talk about a dimension called the courts of heaven. Where'd you get this info from? Open, mm-hmm. And I believe it's what I call the third realm of prayer. Uh, mm, that's what you call it. It's the third realm of prayer. Wow. I didn't even know there was a singular realm of prayer, let alone the third. How many, are, how many realms are there of prayer? Because when Jesus taught us on prayer in Luke 11, yeah. he said we should approach God as father and friend. But then in Luke 18, he added, approach him also as judge. When we approach God... Um, yeah, I don't know what you were doing with God's word there, but that doesn't sound like a right handling of Luke 11. Yeah, see, as if somehow Luke 11 was teaching you. Know, well, see, you got to approach God in this particular way. Um, 
No, that's not it at all. I mean, <laughs> Luke 11 kind of goes like this. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said, which of you who who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. You'll, you'll notice here Luke 11, 5, yeah, that friend talk that he was talking about, this is in the uh, in the context of a parable designed to reveal something about the importance of and the effectiveness of prayer. So, yeah, so Robert Henderson, who uh, you know, apparently believes that there's a dimension, you know, another dimension, a spiritual dimension, called the courts or whatever, and says we need to, you know, that Jesus wanted us to learn how to approach God as friend, but then we also need to approach him as judge and and the, the courts of heaven and all this pre-written books that, that reveal our destiny thingy, none of this is biblical. Father or friend, that's a very deep, intimate relationship. But when we come before him as judge, that's a very reverential place. People are getting healed that never got healed before. This revelation is amazing. How did God show it to you? Well, it came out of my own desperation and necessity. Mm, so this revelation, how did this... Revelation come to you because it's, it's got to be true because he tells stories about people being healed without any actual medical evidence. Initially, I had a son that was set in depression that was not given to depression. He was there for two years. And I had actually battled and warred on the battlefield uh, in prayer, so to speak. But all of a sudden, the Lord whispered to me and said, bring him to my courts. And when I did that out of the limited understanding I had at that time, uh, according to Romans 8:26, the Bible says when we don't know how to pray, he helps us. And so he began to help me and he led me through the process in the courts of heaven. And a week and a half later, my son called. There's a process in the courts of heaven. Sounds like a lot of red tape. Are there forms to fill out? and says, Dad, can I talk to you? And I said, absolutely. And he says, I don't know what happened, but a week and a half ago, all the depression left. And he was completely free, completely free. You're you're hearing this all over the world, really, from from that revelation. But this latest one is the one that really gets me. Yeah, Uh, this latest revelation. Hot off the presses, folks. Just write this in in the back of your Bible. uh, But to understand it, Tell me about the books in heaven. Yeah, according to Daniel 7, verse 10, the Bible says that the court is seated or comes to order. It's ready to proceed in in, in, in session, and the books are open. And mm-hmm. Yeah, let's take a look at Daniel chapter 7. I'll bet you anything it has something, something to do with, you know, maybe like the day of judgment or something like that. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, it just it seems like kind of, the idea. So here's what it says, Daniel chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was pure, like what was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. 
10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment. The books were opened. I looked, and then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. For the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Yeah, this is talking about judgment. What are you talking about? A lot of books in heaven. There's all sorts of books, but one of the main books in heaven is books of destiny. We find that in in Psalms 139.16 where David said, All my substance, which I believe is the DNA of who we are, was written in a book, and all my days yet unfashioned, they were all written down in a book before time began. No way! It's the missing books of destiny! No, actually... They are not the books of destiny. Let's take a look at the psalm in question first. Psalm 139. I'll start at verse 13, and we'll look at a cross-reference. Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praised you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Yeah, that has nothing to do with our DNA. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, does this mean, oh, that your destiny has been written down? Answer, no. You actually do not have a divine destiny. That's a false teaching. But what you do have is this, that uh, we look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not a destiny. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, plural. This is not about destiny. This is about the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. In the psalm there, 139, is a fine cross-reference to the idea that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. But the destiny doctrine... Yeah, divine destiny, that's not what that is saying at all. And this fellow's twisting God's word and claiming direct revelation uh, in order to arrive at uh, said doctrines. But uh, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, uh, we are going to be hearing something about contemplative prayer and also the latest harbingers. Yeah, there's more of them. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hello. I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay-affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is too. Oh, wonderful! Your goddess is coming along beautifully! Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes! My goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, and good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent! Excellent! Now for the final step. You have to name your goddess. Hmm... I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all these people claiming new revelations and prophecies are not telling you the truth. Avoid them. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank, Powder Monkey, at $9.95 a month. And then after that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. And then from there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew, by the way, is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Dunk Paget. This is their avant-garde rendition of uh, Strauss's also Sprach Zarathustra. You notice that the uh, orchestra has abandoned the modernist definitions of notes and they're just being led by Sarayu. Yeah, by Sarayu. Oh, this is so cutting edge. Listen in as they uh, build to a crescendo here. cutting edge this is gonna change the music landscape forever we're never going back never going back Alright, so we're heading over to Bridgetown Church in uh, the Portland, Oregon area. We're going to listen to one of their teachers, Father Rick Gantz, who was asked to come and speak about uh, contemplative prayer. I, I wish I was making that up, but apparently, yeah, that's what they asked him to do. And uh, and so, Father... Um, <clears throat> Gans here is uh, going to be teaching the folks there uh, about contemplative prayer and pay close attention. This is mysticism, and he's going to teach the folks there at that seeker-driven church um, a false definition of prayer in order to introduce a practice that is not only not taught in Scripture, is extremely dangerous. Uh, Well, let's let Father Gans explain. I'd like to offer for your consideration this way of understanding what prayer is. Prayer is a spiritual word. It's a word we pick that we will use to describe all of our experiences, but as understood 
as sharing them with God. What are you talking about? Prayer at its basic fundamental definition is petitioning God, asking God for his help. It is communication from us to God in a very humble pasture. Where are you getting this idea that somehow, oh, prayer, prayer is uh, an experience that we share with God? Where are you getting that definition? Prayer is a spiritual word that we use to describe all of our experiences, but as understood as shared with God. Prayer is not a special kind of experience. Again, where in Scripture does it say prayer is an experience shared with God? Special mode of perceiving all of reality as given us by God to live with him. Again, where are you getting this? This is really important. I have learned that often when we have experiences in our life, we quick, quickly characterize them as I had a good experience or I had a bad experience, right? It's not good to moralize experience because experience is just experience. And something we thought was bad over the course of time turns out to be a profoundly significant something in our life that truly changed us, so that at a later time it's hard to imagine, well, yeah, it was bad, but what happened with it, it's good, kind of, and it's hard to figure it out. God gives us our days to live. And as we say in an old prayer at the beginning of the day, I was taught as a little boy to always say this prayer when I got up in the morning, and it began... We offer you all our prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. As if giving the day before we even have it. Prayer is a way of seeing all our experience as shared with God. A way of seeing? What are you talking about? Do you remember in Luke chapter 18... Verses 40 to 43, Jesus has met a blind man on the road to Jericho. And then this, quoting, Jesus stopped and ordered that he be brought to him. And when he came near... All right, we're going we're gonna to take a look at this passage here. I'm like crawling out of my skin. Even the voice he's using is really creepy. Let's take a look at that story. Luke 18, 35, uh, context, context, context. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. 
And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave praise to God. All right. Great story that man's persistent son of David have mercy on me is, by the way, a prayer. That's right. He was crying aloud to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, if you've uh, ever heard um, what's called the Kyrie, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Yeah, it's based on it's based on texts like this. You know, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy on me. It's not talking about the forgiveness of sins in this particular case. It's Lord have mercy on me in the midst of my suffering and misery, in the midst of my pain and my anguish, or in the midst of even here my blindness. So great text, but he's missed the whole. In fact, he's just not even interested in the. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me bit. Uh, doesn't want to talk about that at all. Um, so we're going to start with what do you want me to do for you? Verse 41, really? Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? That's really good. We never assume that we know what someone needs. Ask them. I think Jesus learned how to do this because he'd made a mistake earlier in his ministry. What? (laughs) What? You believe Jesus made a mistake earlier in his ministry? Is that in one of the Gnostic Gospels? Where is that recorded? Because none of the Synoptic Gospels or the Johannine text... Tell us anything about Jesus making a mistake. Wow. So this fellow who engages in contemplative prayer and Roman Catholic mysticism, he he thinks Jesus made a mistake. The Son of God, really. All right, tell me more. He assumed he would know what they would need. Oh, so he Jesus made a mistake early in his ministry by assuming he knew what somebody would need. No text says this, but I mean, then again, Father Gans, I mean, you know, he knows best, apparently. I'm blind, duh. I imagine him meeting a leper and he not asking what he might need. Starts to heal him and he says, no, no, no. What I wanted to ask you is I know you're traveling to Jericho. Would you mind checking in with my family and tell them I'm okay? I see. So Jesus made a mistake. He just was presumptuous, thinking the leper wants to be healed, when in fact he just wanted Jesus to deliver a message to his family. I mean, oh, man, what a blunder on the part of Jesus. What was Jesus thinking? I mean, seriously. I mean, the the leper was completely okay with the smell and the experience of leprosy, you know. I mean, it wasn't the Beatles who sang that song, Leprosy, all my skin is falling off of me. You know, something like that, right? You know, you know, kiss me quick. I don't even have an upper lip. I don't even have a nose to pick. Whoa, leprosy came suddenly. I mean, so he's going through all of that and, and you know... <laughs> Jesus thinks, you know, hey, would you like your nose and your ears back and maybe your fingertips? No, 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 just just send a message to my parents and let them know I'm I'm okay. I'm 
doing just fine. It's like, achoo! Oh, no, there goes another tooth. Um, You know, wow, okay. And all of this is in Father Ganz's imagination. We surprised even Jesus by the generosity he found in our heart. So Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? He replied, Lord, please let me see. Prayer is a way of seeing all our experience as shared with God. Yeah, you keep saying that like some kind of weird mantra. It's almost as if you're trying to hypnotize the people who are listening to you. Prayer is a shared experience that we have with God. Share, share that experience with God, yeah. Jesus told him, have sight. Your faith has saved you. He immediately received his sight and followed him, giving glory to God. And when they all saw this, they all gave praise to God. If prayer is a way of perceiving, and it, who says it is? Just you. If prayer is a way of perceiving. All of experience. Yeah. The disciplines of prayer are simply the ways that we train ourselves to be awake enough to see our experience in this way. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. So have you trained yourself to see enough to be awake in the experience of prayer in this way? I have no idea what those words say or what they mean, but he's using such a calm and soothing hypnotic voice. All the profound and sometimes playful modes by which God himself is really present to us reaching for us in the circumstances of our day. When biblical scholars look at the Gospel of John, they do notice that Jesus talked a lot at the Last Supper. Yeah, you don't even have to be a biblical scholar to note that. <laughs> I mean, it's seriously, it's like the, uh, the Last Supper kind of begins just about halfway through, just a little over halfway through the Gospel of John. Called the Farewell Discourse. Yeah. In the very center of that farewell discourse, starting at chapter 13 and moving through until the Passion account starts, the very center of it are the verses I'm about to read to you. And yes, and they teach us that prayer is an experience that we share with God. As if Jesus is saying to you and me, this is as deep as I can go. This is the deepest. And if you get this, You've got it. Right. If you get this, you've got it. So it's John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And my translation of that Greek sounds like this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit. That's beautiful. Did you see that? Jesus is always... I don't know. It's kind of frightening if you ask me. That's a law of judgment passage. If you don't bear fruit, then God's going to take you away. Where they end up is not good. Yeah. He never takes away. 
His Father does. And everyone that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. Now you are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it... Yeah, that's weird because the, the word um, meno, I think probably means more like abide. We continue, although remain is one of the options. Unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, that's kind of not the end of that discourse. Yeah, he stopped at verse 9. Although it's beautiful, I agree. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep, if you guard my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full." This isn't about prayer. This is about abiding, and the way you abide is in his word. I wrote that, too. (laughs) There was a 16th century Jesuit who asked the question, why did Jesus use the image of the vine here? Why are you quoting a Jesuit favorably? at a church that's supposed to be evangelical Protestant. What is going on? Now, I'm going to pause there. I think we're going to have to do a part two on this particular teaching because this is creepy beyond all reason, and I, and I mean it, all reason. So, uh, But uh, I want to develop this further, so we'll pick this up probably Thursday or Friday, and continue working our way through this because, yeah, he's got this hypnotic voice and he's clearly twisting God's word in order to say that prayer is an experience that we share with God. That's kind of a weird way of talking about it. Hmm, and he's teaching contemplative mysticism. All right, moving along. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and 
balloon. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Bum, bum. All right, so we're heading over to hear a recent speech delivered by none other than Jonathan Kahn, C-O-N. Um, and he's, uh, he. oh, man, I mean, you thought this whole Shemitah thing was over? Yeah, no, not even close. I mean, there's new Shemitah stuff, and there's new Herbinger stuff that's been going on. And, uh, you know, did you know that Brexit? Totally, yeah, it's a Harbinger, man. It's totally prophetic and stuff. <laughs> I'm just not making this up. But uh, let's uh, let's do this. Uh, let me uh, start by playing some of the audio so that you can hear what it is that Jonathan Kahn is basically conning the body of Christ with nowadays. And unfortunately, it's just miserable, and it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. Here's Jonathan Kahn explaining to us how God is in control. Of course he is, but... Listen to what level of control God is in because of the codes that Jonathan Kahn has cracked. One of the mysteries that manifests how much God is on the throne is, I want to touch on this as we begin. We spoke of the mystery of the Shemitah. You might think it's over since we passed the last one. But there was, there, there was a significant event that happened since we were last year called the Brexit. Right, yeah. What's happened since the Shemitah? The Brexit. Things have continued. Oh, The Brexit. I had no idea that that was a harbinger. The exit of Britain from the European Union. Big prophecy event. The Brexit caused the... Really? Where is the Brexit mentioned in prophecy? The worst single-day global stock market crash since the collapse of the Shemitah in 2008. Oh, see? This is the worst stock market crash caused by the Brexit since the Shemitah in 2008. Of course... If only I had been eating my Shemitah sauce, I would have known that. Those who have not read the Harbinger or the Shemitah, let me just set this up. God ordained that at the end of the seventh year, on the very last day, financial accounts would be wiped away. On September 29, 2008, came the greatest collapse in Wall Street history, world history. Took place on the exact day appointed by God that comes once in seven years, the day of the Shemitah, the day of the seventh year, the sevens. On that day, 7% is wiped out of Wall Street. How many points? Seven, seven, seven points, seven points. God's trying to get something across here. Closing bell, seven, seven, seven point seven, seven. If you take that moment of the closing bell, stock market on the day appointed by God, greatest collapse, and go back. In in the past, by seven years, seven seven seven. Back in the past, right? Just you know, just do it seven seven seven. You know, because that sounds like holy math, man. You know, I mean, seven seven seven. Everyone, when you hear that number, you're supposed to go, oh, and and see. You know, he's kind of fast talking here. So, since the Shemitah, if you go backwards, the seven seven seven, the and then the, you know the 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 days and the hours and the and don't forget the moon cycles and stuff you know the the blood moon thingy right yeah seven years seven days seven hours where does it take you 
Seven years from that moment takes you back to 4 p.m. September 17th. Seven biblical Hebrew years takes you to the exact day. September 17th, 4 p.m. is the closing bell of the other greatest stock market crash that happened also on the day of the Shemitah, exactly seven years. Yeah, but the Brexit didn't happen during a Shemitah year. <laughs> Can I, like, point out the obvious here? It wasn't a Shemitah year when the Brexit took place. There's a part, Bibli, down to the day, down to the hour, down to the second. If you go back another seven in this mystery of sevens... It yeah, but the, the Brexit has nothing to do with the mystery of sevens. The Brexit was like the year after, maybe even longer. You know, maybe two years after. That's not a mystery of seven. That would be like the mystery of eight or nine. You know, you're you're engaging in some funny math here. It takes you seven days. The seventh day is a very interesting day. It doesn't take me seven days to do anything. <laughs> I don't have the patience for anything that takes that long. The seventh day on the cycle is 9-11. So what? When it gets you at 4 p.m., 9-11. What happens if you go back seven hours? It takes you to nine in the morning. You were talking about the Brexit. How do we get to the mystery of the Shemitah 7 thingy? So, yeah. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, there's there's all kinds of new stuff going on here. And uh, in, and did you know that Donald Trump, you know, apparently it's all part of some new Harbinger stuff going on here. You know, apparently he's planning another book to spring on uh, the unsuspecting masses. And since everybody really loves being deceived, <laughs> you know, I think maybe he's trying out his new material. Let's fast forward. So, again, Brexit has nothing to do with the Shemitah, but he said it had it was a harbinger. And then he just, you know, started throwing math, you know, you know, because math, because seven, 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 seven. But no, no, no. Brexit was like eight or nine because I know that that, you know, 2017 is greater than the number of days that were in the Shemitah from a couple years ago. That was like, what, 2015? And, uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, so Trump apparently knew Harbinger stuff, too, here. Trump in an example of a Christian life? Absolutely not. I would agree with that. Are there concerns? Absolutely. Indeed. But can God use those who have not known him or served him to serve his purposes? Absolutely. Of course, God used a donkey. He does it all the time. Whatever you feel one feels about Donald Trump, the fact is through this election, the ceiling of America's future away from God was averted. For a moment, at least it was averted. Now about Donald Trump, what are we to make of this phenomenon? Many believers have many different views. Some see him as the answer. Some as the problem. Some say he's the anointed of God. Some say he's the downfall of evangelical Christianity. Some say he's Cyrus. I say he's Nixonian. But uh, despite all of that, he's, you know, he's the head of the conservatives in the United States. And I'm, I'll take him over Hillary Clinton any day. But that's kind of beside the point. I told you he's in the harbinger. Years. You, he is? But what I'm about to open up to you now, you're going to see something so clear. I am? What I'm going to see clearly, I'm sure, is that you're twisting God's word. So, such a, a biblical template, so clear. A biblical template for Donald Trump. We got Lance Wall now running around the landscape claiming that Donald Trump is King Cyrus. Behind the phenomenon of Donald Trump. And the amazing thing is it comes from the exact same template as the harbinger, the template of 
the last days of Israel, the northern kingdom. We're doomed, folks. This is the reason why America does not appear in the book of Revelation. It's the last days of America. Specifically, a nation in apostasy from God. It's, it's heading to judgment. What is the template? It is the template of the man in the Bible called Jehu. <laughs> the template of Jehu? What are you doing to God's word? The story of Jehu is a historical narrative. It's not a template that we can just lift from the scriptures and try to shoehorn over Donald Trump or any other political figure. Let me read to you. Oh, please do. Jehu, the prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, tuck your cloak in your belt, take this flask of oil with you, and go to Ramoth Gilead. Then when you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from the, con- of the companions, take him to a, a, an inner room, then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. I don't see Donald Trump in there. Don't delay. So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers there sitting together. I have a message for you, commander. He said, for which, which of us, said Jehu, for you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up, went into the house. The prophet poured the oil on his head, declared, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anoint you king over Israel, over God's people. You are to destroy the house of Ahab. The prophet Elijah does what God told Elijah to do. Anoints this Jehu. Who's this Jeff, Jehu God? He was a leader, but he was not a politician. He was a soldier. He was a fighter. He was a guy who got into fights all the time. So? He served Ahab originally. He was on the wrong side originally. So? And now Jehoram was in Jezreel, the son of the ruling king. Elisha sent one of the prophets to anoint him there. The phenomenon of Donald Trump defied everybody's expectations. You can't just read a story, a historical narrative about Jehu and the judgment of God against Jezebel and the family of Ahaz and just somehow say, so there, because Jehu Trump, the, the Bible doesn't work that way. Came out of the blue. The key behind him here is Jehu. Jehu was anointed to put a stop or a hold on the apostasy. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, see, the thing is, is that the fact that you're twisting God's word this way is proof that you are part of the apostasy. And I don't see Trump doing anything to stop you. Oh, my word. What do we know about Jehu? He's a leader, but not a politician. Man of conflict. He's not a gentleman. He's a rough man. He mounts his chariot and and sets forth a race to the royal palace in the city of Jezreel. He heads there to do what was prophesied. Now listen to what the report, when they see him coming, listen to what the Bible says. When they see him racing to the throne... The lookout reports he has reached them, but he isn't coming back either. The driving is like like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives furiously. Now, the Hebrew word behind that for furiously is the word shagah, in, like in the Hebrew mishugah. The word means crazy. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely mishugah. I mean, no, no doubt about it. I mean, what... 
Jonathan Kahn is doing to God's word, it's straight up Meshuggah. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. Jehu and the anointing of Jehu as king has nothing whatsoever to do with Donald Trump. This is not some template that we should then apply to the presidents of the United States. You know, maybe we can go back in time and figure out how to apply these different templates to the royal family of, uh, you know, in in the British Commonwealth. You know, we go back and, (laughs) hey, let's apply this to, you know, Shakespeare's play Macbeth and see if that works. This is a total twisting of God's word, and the people there are under the mistaken notion that they're actually being taught the word of God, when in reality they're not being taught anything about God's word. They're being assured that God is in control, and indeed he is, but the way they're being taught it has nothing to do whatsoever with how that doctrine is actually taught explicitly from Scripture. What this fellow is doing is basically, he has concocted his own hermeneutic. It's the Shemitah Harbinger template lens by which you, it's it's kind of like the Orphan Annie decoder ring, you know? <laughs> but this is not a sound way of learning what Scripture says at all. And what this guy is doing is, you know, con, he's, te- he's basically engaging in a con. And he's pulling the wool over people's eyes, and he's the first person in human history to arise and read the Bible in such a way. And he's, oh man, I mean, they're, they're, they are so anxious to hear these pearls of wisdom coming from the, the, the lips of Rabbi Khan. But what's dripping from his lips is not honey, it's arsenic. This is nonsense. The people there would have been better served to have actually heard the scripture read out regarding Jehu and what he did rather than saying, yeah, Jehu, this is a template for you know, Donald Trump and, you know, hey, he's Meshuggah, you know. Yeah, no, that's not how this works. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. An interesting sermon. Still a mess, but interesting because it offers some salient critique of the destiny doctrine and focus in so many churches today. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> listening to Byron Christian Radio. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy! Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? 
Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Fighting for the Faith. It's a mixed bag. What? The lady we're going to be listening to, who shouldn't be preaching, by the way, she is going to be shooting from the hip and literally go after the narcissistic self-focus of the Dream Destiny Doctrine. No joke, and she does it at C3 Church San Diego, but... uh, Let's do this the right way. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church San Diego. Self-professed pastrix, Beth Bloy, B-L-O-I-S, will be delivering a message titled, Don't Stop on Destiny. It's a train wreck. In the midst of it, there's some really interesting critique of the narcissistic focus of people wanting to know what their destiny is. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite fascinating is the best way I could put it. So uh, let's go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Beth and uh, her message titled Don't Stop on Destiny. Here we go. So it's all good. So is it okay if we just jump straight in? Okay, so... Uh, we're going to go straight to, to Timothy this evening. I've got a message called Don't Stop on Destiny. Don't Stop on Destiny. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy where we find Paul's, Paul writes his final letter to Timothy. And uh, you know that when it's somebody's final words, they're going to be of some significance and some weight and some value. Um, well, you would think so. My, my, my grandmother passed away in November and her final words to me were, remember me when you eat it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm eating things. I'm like, was this what she meant? <laughs> I remember. I still don't know what she meant, but I think Paul's words maybe had a little bit more significance than my grandmother's words. Remember me when you eat it. Eat what, Nana? Oh, she's gone. 
I'll have to wait till heaven to find out. 89 years old, we didn't know where she was at with God all her life and on her deathbed, the only thing she said was the name Jesus. How cool is that? So she's in heaven, having a party and think, eating things or something, I don't know. So 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, these were Paul's, uh, this is Paul's final kind of words in his letter to Timothy. We're going to read it from the message version. I, Paul, am on special assignment for Christ. Somebody say assignment. I, Paul, am on special assignment for Christ, carrying out God's plan laid out in the message of life by Jesus. I write this to you, Timothy, the son I love so much. All the best from our God and Christ be yours. I, Paul, am on special assignment. So these are his final, it's his final letter to Timothy, his final thing he can teach him. And he writes from a place of assignment. But when we... (laughs) What is she talking about? Now, apparently, this is the opening to 2 Timothy chapter 1 from the message paraphrase. And she's going to really key in on this word, assignment. So I, Paul, am on a special assignment for Christ, carrying out God's plan laid out in the message of life by Jesus. (laughs) Let me read it to you from the ESV so you can kind of see the disparity between the two translations, the message is not a translation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah, that's the opening in a good translation like the ESV. So already... Beth here is way, 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 way off the tracks. And uh, I'm not confident she's going to be able to land on her feet at all. And, and kind of look at the, the kind of the moment where Paul was converted from Saul to Paul. Um, we find something even more awesome in these words in Acts chapter 9. These are the words that God spoke over Paul before his his conversion, moments before he said, but the but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name from the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. Okay. All right. So Paul an apostle, chosen by God. True yep. He's, he's an apostle in the truest sense. We don't want to talk about him being on special assignment, though. That's not a good way of translating the uh, Greek word apostolos. Let's say he's chosen. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry his destiny. To carry his destiny? What? Work out his destiny, but a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. Before the Gentiles. Oh, she's making the distinction now between destiny and whatever. Okay. Kings and the children of Israel. From the moment of Paul's conversion to the moment he wrote that final letter to Timothy, he spoke and gave his life to one thing, and that was the assignment that Christ had placed upon him. He lived from a place of assignment. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, she's like, I should just let her shoot from the hip here. Like, this is a train wreck, but the, the, what makes it interesting is when she goes after the dream destiny doctrine because apparently Paul lived from assignment. And she got that from the message paraphrase. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up. 
He didn't live from a place of destiny and he didn't live from a place of his calling or his purpose. He lived from a place of God's assignment placed upon him. He wasn't just interested in this. He was obsessed with this. He obsessed and gave everything within his life to the assignment God had put on him. And now I am an obsessive person. Have I got any obsessive people here? Like you get hooked on things. But only momentarily. And then you're hooked on the next thing. Like TV shows. Oh my gosh. Do you have one born every minute here? I love it. I push. One born every minute. If you don't know, you don't want to know. For those of you that do know, it is so awesome. Like you're just watching women in labour. I actually love it. I'm obsessed with that. But... Is that weird? Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously, it's great TV. But if you haven't had children... I don't want to do that. Um, Do you have married at first sight? Oh! I was obsessed with this programme. Married at first sight. It is exactly what you think it is. Two people, two strangers, they don't meet, they don't know each other. They have filled in a questionnaire and somebody who says, I'm a scientific expert in relationships. No, you're not. You're not. You're really not. But you are getting paid a lot of money to say that you are. They collate the the results and they pair people and they literally get married at first sight. Terrible marriages, but unbelievable TV. So honestly, you have to watch it. It's so good. Because it's like, it is her dream day. I'm like, like, let's be honest, they're idiots. But it's her dream day. She's like, it's the whole work. So spent thousands of pounds on this, their wedding. Like she's got the dress and you see it. She's kind of like, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And then she walks out and the guy's there and she walks around the corner. She's like, oh, no, I don't like him. Like, I get obsessed with TV shows. But my husband, Colin, has he's renowned for short-term temporary obsessions, okay? Well, in England, we call them, like, a fad. That works. You have to be careful what you say around here because not everything means the same, so... Um, so he's, he has a lot of fads, okay? Short, temporary, exciting things in his life. So he read a book called The Maker's Diet, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Two months... Two months, all I ate was seeds. <laughs> seeds. I hate the food shop. I hate the cooking. I hate the cleaning up. So he said, I'm going to just step in, babe, and carry your cross and, and feed the family for this next period. And it's going to be the maker's diet. And we're not eating from the bottom of the ocean. We're only eating from the tree or something. Seeds. <laughs> he came home and I was like, how much have you spent today, Colin? He's like, oh, only like £8,000. <laughs> Wow, that's a lot of seeds. Like he's, he gets obsessed over starch spray. Do you have starch spray here? Yes, no, whoa, are you living in the same country? Yeah, the the crisp shirt thing, yeah. Oh, wow, we have that. We had 18 cans of that in our home. And my husband's from uh, London, so it's, babe, can you starch my shirt for me, please? I'm like, sorry. So I can starch my shirt. So I'd iron the shirt. And again, I'm not really domesticated, so I'm really bad at ironing. So, so is she like a British stand-up comedian? You know, you know, that's what she does on the side? I'd have to starch the shirt. And he's like, if you're going to do it, this is how you got to do it. 
Like, there was a way to starch the spray, the shirt. We don't do that anymore, because that was just a fad. Um, protein shakes. We've had protein shakes. I have to spend, like, okay, $40 on a bag of protein. He goes for one run. Has two shakes. I still have the protein shake in my cupboard, okay? I'm, I'm terrible. I get obsessed in things, but then I move on. Like, I'm obsessed with one item of clothing. Does anybody else do this? You buy it and you wear it and you think, I don't have anything else in my wardrobe. I have no clothes. I only have this one item. And then you move on and you're on to the next thing. For Paul, this was not a temporary fad. This was not a momentary obsession. This is what he actually gave his life to. This is, was not a season. This wasn't a, you know, six-month ministry. This wasn't even an internship for him. This was his life. He gave his life for the assignment that God had put him on him. But I find it quite interesting that a man that is on the brink of his completion of destiny writes his final words and doesn't mention destiny. Arguably, a man that has achieved the most doesn't mention what he has achieved. Yeah, that's because Paul didn't teach the dream destiny thingy doctrine because it's a false teaching. One of the most famous authors, writers of all time never wrote about the word destiny. He never taught us how to live out our destiny. He never taught us to seek my destiny and my purpose. He only ever taught us one thing, and that is how to live out the assignment that Christ has put upon us to carry his name to a broken generation, to help blind eyes be opened, to open the prison gates and set captives free, to rescue people and bring them into the house of God. But this, this bugs me, okay? And I feel like I can just put it out there because we're family now, right? But it bugs me because I feel like there has been a language change within our church culture and our church society over these, I don't know, past few years. And I don't, I don't speak French, okay? I'm not good with languages. Oh, no, I can say my uh, wheelie bin flew away. My bin flew away. My pubelle envolée. That's all I've got. But it's like there's been a language change and I can't, I don't understand it. Because now we've introduced this term destiny. Where people are, young adults all around society and churches are talking about how they can find their destiny. How they can serve their destiny. How they can find out exactly what God is calling them to when he's going to open up the door for them. How they're going to serve, when they're going to serve my destiny. It's been like this language and culture shift within the church and the leading force of our lives have become destiny and not assignment (laughs) it was never assignment either but notice what she said that there has been a major culture shift in the church she's right this dream destiny doctrine and this major emphasis on it it not, not only is it not biblical This is something that has become an obsession within the church, a major fad within the church that literally just is not going away. But what she said is right. Change in emphasis, not from assignment to destiny, but from sound doctrine to false. The dream destiny doctrine is a narcissistic false 
teaching. It's gonna be quiet. But okay, we're getting a bit destiny junkie here, people. We live in this need to know age, obsessed with our unique calling, our unique defined purpose. I've got to know. I've got to know who I'm going to marry, when I'm going to marry them. Are they going to come alongside me and propel me into my destiny? I need a prophecy. I need a prophecy right now about my destiny. I'm not serving your vision. I'm serving my vision. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's how they they act and behave and talk because... The dream destiny thingy doctrine is all about you. Whereas what Christ has done, saved you for good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do, that's all about you serving others. Big difference between works and destiny. Huge difference. Destiny is all about you. Good works are all for your neighbor. You might need to book an Uber. <laughs> things get things get heated in here. I'm a fast runner, so I can be out of that door. It's all got a little bit destiny junkie. When Paul never wrote about his destiny, he only ever wrote about his assignment. I need to know my destiny. I need to know my future. I need to know my calling. I need to know my purpose. I need to know. Do you know what we really need a revelation of? What the young adult generation, what the church right now needs a revelation of is the scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom, his purpose, his assignment and all that other stuff. All that other stuff, your purpose, your career, your your studies, that will just get added to you. Can I just keep going just for a little bit longer? And I, like I promise I'll line it up. But can we talk about Jeremiah 29, 11? Okay. Yeah, please do, because that's one of the most taken out of context passages and twisted to treat, you know, to teach the so-called dream destiny thingy doctrine. But the you there is a y'all, not a singular, but a y'all. Yeah, I know the plans I have for y'all talking about the Israelites. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Okay, we have what I would call an overlove with this scripture. Okay, overlove. It's a little bit like me and Leanne, Pastor Leanne. It's like a bit of an overlove thing. <laughs> but I think I'm in the healthy zone. Now I'm wearing the same lipstick as her, so okay, maybe we're tipped out. <laughs> but she taught me where to go. Because Jeremiah 29, 11, if you are not a Christian or you are new to Christ, this scripture is revolutionary for you. To know that he has a purpose and he has a plan and he has a future for you. If you are newly saved, you've got to get a hold of this scripture. It's got to become everything that you fixate your life upon because you've got to understand there is a future and there is a hope and it's greater than anything this world can offer, the education can offer, your career can offer, your husband, your girlfriend. It's greater than anything you can offer. But then we bed into the life of the church and we keep having an overlove with the scripture. And I think it's because we see two words. We see plans and we see future. 
And we get obsessed. What is my plan? I need to know my plan, God. What's my plan now? I'm here. Yeah, again, the point that I was making that you there, I know the plans I have for you, that's plural, second person plural in Hebrew. I know the plans I have for y'all. This is not speaking to individuals, speaking to the children of Israel at the time of the exile. I'm serving you. What's the plan? What's the plan? When am I going to get to sit on the front row? When am I going to get choose, chosen to go on internship? When will I go on stuff? And what's the plan? When, when am I going to get the man of power for the hour? What's, what's the plan, God? What's the plan? What's my future? What's my future? Where's it going? Where's it taking me? Am I going to be recognized for my ministry and my destiny? What's the plan? What's the future? What's the plan? What's the future? Okay, let's have... <laughs> Blistering critique from somebody who sees the impact that it has on people. Doesn't make them more like Christ. Keeps them focused on themselves. Another look at the scripture. For I know... Okay, the whole purpose of this scripture is to release you from the bondage of having to know and figure it out. Because the Bible says, for I know, for he knows. He's got this covered. He knows the plans he has for you and he knows the future he has for you. And side note, his plans and his future for you are unbelievable. You could never comprehend how much God has in store for your life and for this house. If he was to give you a glimpse, it would almost be too much for you. It's far more than you can ask him. It's far more than you can think. It's far more than you can imagine. The Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could conceive what he has in store for you. Your future is incredible. But listen, we can know the sky's the limit and we can forget about it. And we can get on with serving the assignment that Jesus Christ has actually put upon our life. To build the local church, to carry his name to a broken generation, to see people saved, to go find people that are paralyzed, put them on the stretcher, bring them to the house of God, put them in front of the presence of someone that can pray for them. Because when we live from destiny, we are the center of the picture. It's like the selfie generation. But when we live from assignment, Christ is at the center of the picture. And I have found, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, notice what she said, that selfie, uh, that selfie doctrine, destiny is a selfie doctrine. And she's trying to make a distinction between that and assignment. And what's interesting, uh, although I quibble with the fact that that's not what is actually being said at the opening of Second Timothy, she's trying to get at something here that's quite valid She's not figured out what the biblical antidote is to this poison that's running through the church today regarding destiny. But she's definitely identified the problem and the behavior that is the fruit of this false narcissistic teaching. Book 16, but I'm a really mature 32. (laughs) But I have found in my journey that I've never needed to be the center of my own world because I am at the center of his world. And so whilst I attend to his needs and his purpose and his kingdom, he will attend to my household and my marriage and my children and my family. You don't need to be the center. That's a confusion of law and gospel for sure. God takes care of us because of his fatherly love for us. He even causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Picture because you're at the center of his. When we live from destiny, we remove ourselves from seasons and teams because it doesn't fit. People say, I can't serve on your team anymore because it, my season's ended. Come on, girl. 
you, are, you, are, you, are you a weather girl? Well, actually, somebody is a weather girl, so you, you can call that, but... People are serving on teams in the life of the church for six months and saying, my season's finished, I've got to go, because it isn't. And we had this in our church recently, and they had to pin me down to the floor. Our kids pastor said, oh, this so-and-so has left the, the kids' team. And I said, why have they left the kids' team? They were awesome on the kids' team. That was just like, they were seeing kids grow, like it was a great fit for them. And they said, oh, because they said it wasn't serving their destiny and where they were heading right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did it... When, when, mm, when did it ever become your destiny? Like you died, okay? When you give your life to Christ, you die. And you pick up the assignment of Christ. It's not I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. So I'll serve on the youth team for one year, two years, three years till you kick me off. I'll put the chairs out for six months, six years till you kick me off. I'll get in the car and I'll drive the worship team to the next church plant at 4am because it's not my destiny, it's not my agenda, it's the assignment of Christ placed upon me. Paul didn't write from destiny, he wrote from assignment. This is not a movement, this is not a church that is driven by me, this is a movement driven by the assignment of Christ. Okay, let's talk about Jacob. Let's get the attention away from me being quite fierce to you. Let's talk about Jacob. Jacob was a man in the Bible who was, became for a season in his life obsessed with what he could obtain, with what he could get a hold of. When we read the story, we see that he buys a birthright and he steals a blessing from under the, his own father's blind eyes. Yeah, you kind of missed the whole point about the fact that he actually was the one who the Lord had chosen. Yeah, everyone seems to miss that when they tell the story of Jacob. I, I taught on it a couple years back, and it was in our Roseboro's Ramblings Through Genesis series. Like, my dad was tempor- temporarily blind in one eye, and I admit I did a few tricks. But this is next level. Next level, Cherish Girls, capital C, crazy. So, okay, you've got Isaac and Rebecca, mom and dad. You've got two sons, Esau and Jacob. And what's happening is Isaac's about to die and he says, I need to give my blessing to my eldest son, Esau. So he calls in Esau and he says, "Um, listen, I'm going to die. I've got to give you my blessing. Um, And this is what I want you to do. I need you to go and kill a goat, prepare a meal. We're going to eat it and I'm going to bless you. That sounds nice. That's good. We can go with that. Meanwhile, outside the door, his wife Rebecca is listening in on this conversation. Capital C, crazy lady. Because she has a... No, actually, she's not crazy at all. Remember, when she was pregnant, she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said that she had twins and that the older would serve the younger. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not Esau, it's Jacob. So she hears what's happening, and she's like, no. No, he cannot get the blessing. Jacob's got to get the blessing. The reason why he can't get the blessing is because God said that it was the younger who should receive the blessing, not the older. So she, in a crazy lady mom mode, runs, finds Jacob and says, Jacob, listen, 
We've got to get in here. The blessing's about to go. You've got to get it. We've got to intervene. He's like, yeah, mum, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? She's right. You're going to have to go and kill a goat. You have to prepare a meal. Do it before your brother. Get before your father. And like, this is how crazy it gets. And, and then he'll come pray for you and give you the blessing. At this point, you would think Jacob would say, mum, that's not a good idea. That's not good. That's not okay. This is our father. This is our brother. At this point, you think, nah, time out. I'm, I'm tapping out. I'm like, I'm gone. No. His question was, but mum, my brother's really hairy. <laughs> he's working it out in his head. So if, if, if he touches me and he feels me, he's going to know that I'm Jacob. And this is what you've got to know about mothers and women. They've got a solution for everything. <laughs> Listen, no problem too great, no wall too high. We can scale it and we will find a way, Okay. <laughs> So she's like, okay, I've got a hair issue here. She's like, I've got it. Kill the goat, and with the goat, I'll take the skins from the goat, and I will attach them to the smooths of your hand, the smooths of your neck, and then you can go in there, and if he reaches out and touches you, it's going to be okay, because you, you've got your hair on. How hairy. How hairy is... Esau. I'm like, Chewbacca? <laughs> Colin Tubb? That's like a lot of beard there. Well done, good and faithful servant. You keep laughing, I'll just work out where I am. He's so fixated and obsessed with what he can obtain and what he can get that he's dressing himself in goat hair just so he can obtain another blessing. But God has to take him onto a mountain so that he can wrestle the destiny junkie out of him. He has to set some... (laughs) Just to so you know... The opposite error of an error is not the truth. Yeah, when uh, the Lord wrestled with with Jacob, it wasn't to wrestle the destiny junkie out of him. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> false doctrine to get rid of false doctrine. <laughs> this doesn't work. Straight in Jacob's mind. Maybe God needs to set reset some things in your mind tonight. Wow. We find in Genesis that This moment where God wrestles the destiny junkie out of him. And it says in Genesis 32, I will read some scripture now because I feel like I just ripped it apart then. But I thought it was great storytelling. Yeah, well, I mean, your delivery was fantastic. Your comedic timing is impeccable. It's actually quite amazing. Your ability to engage in exegesis, yeah, miserable. You should never preach anywhere under any circumstances. Plus, God's word forbids you from doing so. I mean, it's like Jürgen, Pastor Jürgen storytelling. Like, but I'm a good, like, down here, wasn't I? I was, yeah. You, you had that Chewbacca vision, didn't you? Okay. But I'll just read it just for, you know, just for those that like to be read too. So Genesis 32, this is the moment where God has to wrestle the destiny junkie out of Jacob. The same night he arose and he took his two wives, not here to judge, two female servants and 11 children. And he crossed 
the Ford of the Jabbok. You would do that, wouldn't you? That was good, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I won't be able to say it properly because I'm not past the Jürgen. Is he like, like the most intelligent guy ever? Like, it's not fair. Stop hot. Yeah, I, I wouldn't classify him as that. All the brains. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he, he had, and Jacob was left alone. As a whole of the message for a young adult generation, being alone with Christ, being alone with God, allowing him to actually just go there for a few moments. It says, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. And as he wrestled with him, and then he wrestled with him, and then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay, you've stolen a birthright, you've bought a birthright, you've stolen a, a blessing and you still want more blessing? Time out. Because it doesn't matter how high you, cr you climb the career ladder. It doesn't matter how good your grades are at college, at university. It doesn't matter how, you, how good your stature is in your society, in your group. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what you obtain, whether you have the prettiest girl in San Diego on your arm. You are never going to be fulfilled until God places his assignment upon your life. Yeah, actually, uh, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And our good works are for the benefit of our neighbor, not ourselves. Destiny is all about me. Yeah, and this idea of assignment is a paltry substitute. It, it, it doesn't actually quite muster as the uh, solution to the problem of the narcissistic dream destiny thingy doctrine. And you're twisting Genesis in order to teach this. Love what you said. Critique-wise, your solution is not even biblical. To carry his name to a broken generation, to build his church. And then we find this moment where God blesses Jacob, but he blesses him with his assignment. And he says, okay, I'm going to change your name. And we can have the keys up as well now. We always need that to hurry me along. Yeah, she means the keyboardist. And God in this moment thinks, okay, I'm going to bless you, but this time I'm going to bless you with your assignment. So all this time you've been scrapping around, seeing what you can get, what you can obtain, what you can achieve, what you can beg, what you can steal, what you can borrow. But from this moment on, I'm going to put a blessing, an assignment on your life that's going to shift everything. And we see that God changes his name. And he says, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. I'm now going to call you Israel. Now, I mean, if I was going in for a blessing, I'd probably want a little bit more than name change. But you've got to take what you can get sometimes. I'm not sure I prefer Israel to Jacob. I think I would have rather stayed with Jacob. J to the cop, J, like, not much you can do with Israel. Is it? No, you're right. Rael. <laughs> I'm keeping it Israel. Oh, okay. Yeah, Israel is it. Okay. So he changes his name and says, I'm no longer going to call you Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. But what we know is that Jacob goes on to have 12 sons. And those 12 sons went on to become the 12 heads of each of the tribes of Israel. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it is not about what Jacob can beg, steal and borrow. 
It is not about the birthrights and it is not about the blessings, but it is now about what he will birth. Yeah, it's all about the Messiah, actually. Cue sappy music, by the way. That's an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience in order to convince them to make decisions. Apparently, it's the decision to give up being narcissistic in your destiny thingy and and embrace the assignment thingy. It's not about what he can get. It's now about what he can give. He spent so much time trying to get to climb the ladder, to be the number one, the top brother, to be recognized. But in this moment, God said it is not going to be about what you can get, but what you will give birth to. Yeah, now you've created a uh, non-existent monologue from God in Genesis that's not there. Not what you can get a hold of, but what you can give to this world. Not about your destiny anymore. It's about the assignment of Christ placed upon you. And Colin and I, we've been married, married 10 years and kind of ended up in ministry straight away uh, when we got married, really. And when we got married, we didn't get any marriage counselling. Hmm, that might be the problem. You book it in, marriage counselling, let him know. Just When we get back, we'll sort that out. But it didn't really work out. We, we didn't end up having marriage counselling. So I thought, I'm going to have to have something. So I thought, I'll get a scripture. That will do. Just get a scripture. And this was our scriptures. We went into marriage. In Isaiah, it says, They are the shoot that I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. And so we just went into marriage simply thinking, okay, if we can just be seed in the ground, the work of his hands, and everything we do, everything we put our hand to, everything that our life grows in would display his splendor. And we never have had to have an emergency meeting in our household about our destiny. God placed his assignment on Colin and I. We clean the windows. I'm really good at cleaning windows. He was the, the one that hoovered everything, vacuumed. We've, we have vacuumed. What do you say here? Vacuumed, okay. Colin has vacuumed every inch of the auditorium we are now leading in. Multiple times, over and over and over again. I've cleaned all of those windows multiple times. I've changed every bin liner and it really annoys me when people leave bin liner on show because in my day, no bin liner on show. Okay. I got asked to serve on the youth team. Yeah, I'll serve on the youth team. Awesome. The leaders came and said, we feel like you're, we want to move you on to now this team. Would you do that? Hey, we're we're planting a church in Leeds and we're going to need some bit of an advertising strategy. Can you research like bus shelter advertising? Yeah, I can do that. Hey, we're going to plant a church in Newcastle. Would you, would you hop in the car and come up and support the team, set up, pack down? Yeah, we'll do that. Hey, we take on the student ministry and we want to reach university students. We want you to run a service on campus. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. I was telling Pastor Leanne that Colin and I were both on staff and then both lost our job in the same day. Now, did we then walk out and say, okay, our destiny is aborted, our destiny is finished, we're going to have to re- rework this thing? No, we kept serving in the same capacity, doing exactly the same role with no pay packet attached to it because God's assignment was placed upon us. And that assignment hadn't changed. 
because a pay packet has nothing to do with your assignment. You don't need a pay packet to carry the name of Jesus to a broken generation to see people saved. And people say, how come you're the lead pastor of the church? And do you know what I honestly think? Because when I was on youth team, they said, can you look after the new Christians? I went and designed the ugliest new Christian program you could ever see. And I printed it off and I carried it to my little room and I handed out the booklets and I talked them through the first steps of being a Christian. At the end of the class, I brought in all the booklets and I took them home and I prayed over those kids. And the next week I'd go back and hand out the booklets and we'd grow in Jesus. And then I'd take the booklets home and I'd pray over them. I think it's because when God put a little bit in my hand, I worked with all my might as if I was working unto Him. Don't let the enemy tell you it's about your destiny. Don't let the enemy tell you you need to leave the team you're on because it isn't serving you, because it is not about your destiny. It's about the assignment that Christ has placed upon you. And when Pastor Jürgen and Leanne say, oh, we're one church, three campuses, we're going to be 16, you'll stand on your chair and you will wave your Bible. Yeah, Pastor. But the only way that that vision can be outworked is once you finish waving your Bible, because let's be enthusiastic about the vision, is you put it down and you head over and you say, right, what can I do? How can I serve? I've got a car. It's got some space. I can drive it over. Hey, I've got some resource. I want to start sewing into it. I've got time. What can I do? And it might be absolutely nothing to do with what you're studying. It might be absolutely nothing to do with your career path. It might not link. It might not feed into. But listen. So you notice this is this entire sermon, man. Totally law. There ain't no gospel in here. <laughs> it's like a brow beating. This is like a uh, come to Jesus meeting with your uh, your British mom, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just making note here. Don't say anything to upset Beth and have to get a talking to. Got it. When God's assignment comes upon you, it is no longer about what you can get, but what you can give. Let's live assigned. This is not about your next season. Some of you might have come tonight thinking, I'm going to get a word for my next season. And I felt the Holy Spirit say that there was somebody here and you've been offered a job. And you're now, about- now, she, now she hears directly from the Holy Spirit. So we got prophecy coming in here, folks. This is a fresh, fresh word thingy. You, you're kind of deciding whether to take the job. It means leaving San Diego to take the job. And there are times, you know, God calls us into our careers and, and relocates us. But I felt the Holy Spirit say, that's a destiny move, not an assignment move. And there's someone here and your assignment is to stay here in this vision, in this house. It's a lot easier to find a job than it, than it is a good church. Okay? So stick with, stick with assignment. Seek first the kingdom of God. He'll add the rest. This is not about your next season. It's about your next seed. And, and the, enemy, the enemy is so annoying. Isn't he? It's just the most irritating thing. Wasp at a picnic. Just like, I'm, I'm even surprised he bothers coming around here. Like, I wouldn't. Leanne gets up, the devil walks out. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> He's like, no, don't tell him I was going to do that. But I think the enemy has run riot, especially in the young adult generations. 
and he has been stealing assignments and replacing them with destiny. He's been stealing seeds. So the devil's been stealing assignments and replacing with destiny. So she's saying that the destiny doctrine is from the devil. (laughs) Wow. That should have been planted in the ground to grow and display the splendor of God. He's been stealing them and replacing it with this word destiny. But listen, don't stop on destiny. There's so much more than your destiny. There is an assignment placed upon you to reach the lost and to reach the broken, to see your work colleagues saved for Jesus, to see whole rows filled with your family members, to carry His name to a broken generation, to reach out and offer to pray with that mom that's struggling, to reach out and offer to pray for that grandma that's sick. And I feel like many of you have just dropped the seed. But... It was like I saw all these seeds on the ground in between the chairs as they've been dropped because the enemy's made you think it's, it's all about you. And it is about you, but it's not about you. You're at the centre of his picture. But let's have his mission and his purpose at the centre of ours. Even like this, like the seed all over the ground that's just been dropped by young adults. Oh, house of God, now. I'm serving my career. I'm serving my degree. I'm serving my studies. And that's all good. I, I, I did a degree. I, you know, I, I worked outside of church whilst volunteering in church. But I did it living assigned. But it's like I can see like heaven. And there's like these trap doors. And all the... Uh, so now she, no, she mishandled every biblical text. And now she's prophesying. It's as if I see trapdoors. I see, uh-huh, uh-huh, wow. Angels are like stood holding the trapdoors, ready to release seed from heaven. Because you might have dropped that seed, but there's plenty more where that came from. You might have walked away from your assignment, but there's plenty more seed that God wants to put in your hand. And it's like they're stood waiting for you to stand and say, listen, it's not about my destiny. It's about his assignment. God, give me seed. Let me plant it in the ground. Let my life grow and glorify the name and the power of you. And tonight, for some of you, this is going to be a reconfiguring, a shifting, because you have made it all about your destiny. And I don't know America. I've not lived in America, but I, I hear a lot of people moving to L.A. to pursue their destiny, moving to New York to climb the career ladder for their destiny. People leaving churches because it isn't serving their destiny. I need to find the place that'll serve my ministry and my destiny. But not C3 San Diego. This is a church that is going to live assigned for Jesus Christ. So apparently C3 San Diego, they're, they're abandoning the demonic destiny doctrine. And they're going for assignments instead. Okay. Maybe just with eyes closed and you're here tonight and you're thinking, you know what, I need to re- realign. So you got to dump the demonic destiny thingy and you need a realignment. I'm living for my destiny, but I want to live under the assignment of Christ. Yeah. All in this place, I want you to lift your hands to heaven, ready to receive not direction for your next season, but seed for your next season. So apparently seeds are going to fall out of the sky into people's hands. It's when Pastor Jürgen and Leanne say 16 campuses. 
That's you guys. The leaders of those campuses are in this room. Father, all in this place right now. Done. Yeah. So very interesting. Yeah, from her, I mean, an absolute confession of the narcissistic selfie theology of the destiny doctrine. She even said it was demonic. And uh, <laughs> and she spoke quite saliently about the bad fruit of that doctrine and the turmoil and the nonsense that it's creating and the havoc that it's creating amongst their circles there. Now, of course, she's replaced it with the assignment doctrine based upon the uh, message paraphrase. Uh, which still doesn't actually mean she taught the truth. She shouldn't have been preaching in the first place. But wow, what an interesting sermon. Yeah, interesting indeed. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by Christ's death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.